Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. We're going through the book of Numbers uh, uh, in our Sunday morning. Last uh, week we took a break uh, with talking about Christmas and uh, we're going to get back to it this morning. We're going to leave it this evening to another topic this evening, but uh, we're going to go to it this morning. We were in Numbers chapter 11 and uh, our message this morning is about moaning about the menu. Now, I'm sure that uh, most of you didn't moan about the menu uh, this last week, uh, Christmas dinner. Uh, and uh, if you did, you probably deserved to not get any Christmas dinner then. But uh, I'm sure you pl- had plenty to eat, right? Uh, we've uh, seemed like we always eat a lot uh, during the holiday season. And uh, But uh, here we're going to talk about moaning about the menu uh, with the children of Israel as they're making their way uh, through the wilderness uh, in their travels, in their journey. Uh, God had everything, go- or God's people had everything going for them. Uh, he provided for them. He protected them. Uh, they were at peace and on their way to the promised land. Unfortunately, God's best and his blessing doesn't always satisfy, does it? Uh, Some folks uh, seem to be dissatisfied with just about everything that comes along. They moan about the menu of their lives. And I wonder this morning, is that what we're doing? Uh, We probably need to examine our lives, see how much moaning and complaining we're doing. If you look at chapter 11, verse 1 again, it says, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell. I'm in Nehemiah, not Numbers. That's no wonder it doesn't make any sense. It started with N. You know me. Uh, you're going to find a, uh, again, here we go. Now let's get on the right page here. We're on the same page. Good. And when the people complained, there it is. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. I had one more mistake to make for this year, so I used it up a little while ago there, getting in the wrong book. But uh, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, I think this verse shows us three things. The complaint of the people, uh, the chagrin of the Lord, and the caller of the of the Lord. Now you say uh, complaint. We all know what that's all about. We know the definition of complaint. Uh, what do we mean by the chagrin of the Lord? Well, that means displeasure or dismay. And what about that word caller? Uh, why would you use that word, Pastor? Uh, what's that? Well, it's another word for anger, irritation, or dissatisfaction. Then why don't you just say anger, Pastor? Well, because it doesn't start with a C. Uh, and you're going to see a lot of C's in this me- uh, message. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's why I use that word. Well, uh, in verse 1, we find here, there's the definitions, complaint, chagrin, and collar. Uh, but in verse 1, uh, we find it says, the fire of the Lord. Now, what is the fire of the Lord? Uh, where do we see the fire of the Lord? That's in verse 1. It says, the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Well, I believe it could possibly be some form of lightning. And we see it consumes complainers in the uttermost parts of the camp. That's what the verse 1 says. Uh, Many who are not Jews resided in these areas. God was displeased with these people. Uh, He dealt with them who were complaining, had a complaining spirit. Uh, Griping and complaining does hurt people. Uh, it was Julius Caesar who threw a party 
uh, for a large group of his nobility and his royalty. And for days and during the feast, the rains fell in Rome. Many of the people complained about the weather. That's something we would never do, would it? We'd never complain about the weather. Well, Caesar told his archers to go out and shoot their arrows at the god Jupiter. Uh, They did, but the arrows came down upon many of the heads of the complainers who suffered from those arrows. It's never good to shoot a rifle or a gun up in the air because you never know where it's going to come down. Same way with arrows. And that's what Caesar said. Shoot those arrows at the god Jupiter. Well, those arrows didn't get to Jupiter. They just came down and hit the heads of the complainers who suffered from those arrows. Complaints do hurt people. So uh, we have to be careful about the complaining. So that's what we talked about the last time we were in chapter 11. We just started in chapter 11, verse 1, and we talked about complaining. Well, here it is uh, again this morning as we continue on. Notice with me the cry of the people in verse 2 and 3. And the Lord, or the people, cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Now people cried to Moses. Uh, They should have been crying out to God. But nevertheless, nevertheless, people, or Moses, prays, And he intercedes for his people. Moses prayed and God answered immediately. The Bible gives instructions. Did you know that? (laughs) The Bible is an instructive book. And it gives instructions on how we can get our prayers answered. uh, And how we can have a successful prayer life just like Moses. But we have to meet some of God's conditions. And then he will answer our prayers. What are the conditions of successful praying? What are the conditions? What does God expect of me when I go to him in prayer? Well, first of all, he expects contrition. That's my first C, okay? Contrition. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal heal their land. Humbling ourselves goes against our grain. The grain of our pride, our self-confidence, our control. We want to be people that say, you know, I've got a handle on life. I I know what I'm doing. And so when we humble ourselves, that goes against the natural grain of our pride. So many times people are busy. Uh, They're tired. Uh, They have difficulty getting started. Uh, God wants us to seek his face and turn from our wickedness. Now, if you've never been saved, you need to trust Christ first. You need to humble yourself before him and, and put your faith in him to begin with. But contrition is a condition for successful praying. Secondly, complete Yielding of your heart. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Complete yielding of the heart. God will do business with those men and women who mean business with him. Sometimes we just need to slow down and take time to pray. Several years ago, newspapers told how a new Navy jet fighter shot itself down. Yeah, a jet 
fighter jet shot itself down. It was flying at supersonic speed. It ran into cannon shells that were fired only a few seconds before. The jet was traveling too fast. Uh, You're traveling sometimes too fast, aren't you? We need to slow down. Uh, We need to spend time with the Lord. We've got so many things on our schedule, so many things to do. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to read the Word. You know, uh, we better slow down before we shoot ourselves down with poor decisions. Complete yielding of the heart. Thirdly, a concrete faith and fervency. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now it's not the arithmetic of our prayers, that is, how many are there, Uh, It's not the rhetoric of our prayers, how eloquent our prayers are. It's not the geometry of our prayers, how long they be. I'm trying to get some of you kids back into school here. Vacation's almost over, all right? It's not the geometry of our prayers, how long they are. It's not the music of our prayers, how sweet our voice may be. It's not the logic of our prayers, how argumentative they may be. Nor is it the method of our prayers, how orderly they may be, which God is concerned about. No, God is concerned about the fervency and the passion of our spirit, which avails much with God. The fervent prayer of a faithful man availeth much. Isn't that what the Bible says? John Bunyan said, in prayer, it's better to have a heart without words than words without heart. And so a concrete faith and fervency. Fourthly, a consecrated life. James 5.16 just quoted part, part of that. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you're going to be a righteous person, then you're going to have a consecrated life. Consecrated to God. Then there's compliance and conformity to God's word. 1 John 3, 22, And whatsoever ye ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We want our prayers answered. We're going to need to be compliant to God's word. We're going to conform ourselves to his word. Those are the conditions. But there are also some things that clog Some things that clog your prayer life. Nobody likes a clogged sink. No one likes to see things clogged up. No one wants to go to the Twin Cities and get involved in a clogged up highway. That's no fun. But there are things that will clog your prayer life. First of all, not compliant in obeying the Lord. I'd call this stubbornness. Deuteronomy 1.45, And ye returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice, nor give ear unto you. Because of the stubbornness. 1 Samuel 28.6, And when the Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Why? Because Saul was not compliant. He was not obedient to to the Lord. 
Another thing is concealing sin, when we have secret sins. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That can clog up my prayer life. Sin. Cold-heartedness will clog your prayer life. Proverbs 1, 24 and 25, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have set it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. Proverbs 1, 28, They shall call upon me and I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? Because they're cold-hearted. Another reason that your prayers get clogged up is you're not considering God's word. Proverbs 28, 9, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. And then there's corruption, sinfulness. Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You say, Pastor, you're just, you're just grabbing a verse here and a verse there, and you're trying to put all this. Isn't that in the Bible? Isn't that what the Bible says? I think we need to pay attention to what the Bible says if we want to have a successful prayer life. We need to, to follow the conditions, and we need to make sure that our prayer life is not clogged up with these things. So we find here the cry of the people. The people cried unto Moses. They should have been crying to God. But then Moses prayed unto the Lord. How does prayer, uh, Moses get his prayers answered? He, he certainly got answered. The fire was quenched. And so we see the cry of the people. But secondly here, notice the carnality of among the people. Look in verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Now here's the problem arose among a mixed multitude. Who are these people? The mixed multitude were strangers and foreigners and slaves of other nations that traveled with Israel. And this is the only place in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where the Hebrew word uh, is used that describes rabble or riffraff, if you please. The riffraff that accompanied the Jews when they left Egypt. It wasn't just uh, uh, the children of Israel. There were some others that were tagging along. And when they had left Egypt, it isn't, or why they left Egypt isn't really explained to us. Uh, some of them may have been afraid that more judgments were coming, and they thought, well, maybe the safest place is to be with the Jews. Some servants and slaves may have seen Israel's departure. Hey, this is an opportunity for us to get out of Egypt while the people are busy burying their dead. Remember the Passover took place and all the firstborn who didn't have the blood on the, on the doorposts and so forth, they lost their, uh, firstborn. They were, they died and so they're all burying their dead. And so some of these extras would say, well, this is a good opportunity to get out of here. This is a place that we don't, we don't want to be in, a part of. Others may have had good intentions, 
But because they had no faith in the Lord, their hearts had never changed. They wanted to get the benefits of being with God's people, but they did not plan on such a rugged trip. They were only concerned about getting out of Egypt. And whatever their origin, this mixed multitude caused Moses and the people of Israel a great deal of trouble. And a similar group is creating problems for God's servants and God's people today. Churches are filled with mixed multitudes who claim to be followers of Christ, but they're not born-again Christians. They're religious people, and they think, well, if I go to church, I'll, uh, I'll be okay. But our churches are being filled with mixed multitudes. Many people who are critics and complainers and carnal are ones in our churches. In Matthew 13... It talks about the parable of the tares. Jesus taught that whatever the Lord plants, wherever the Lord plants his true children, the devil's going to come along and he's going to plant a counterfeit. You know that's true. Whatever God has given to us in his word, the devil comes along with a counterfeit. Satan is an imitator. He's an infiltrator, which explains why Paul warned the church about false brethren and false ministers and a false gospel. Now, over the years of being involved in ministry, I've learned that it isn't the enemies outside the local church which do the damage, but it's the counterfeiters who get inside the church fellowship And these intruders might march through the church crowd and they may act like they are God's people, but they don't have an appetite for spiritual things. And eventually their true allegiance is revealed. Now verse 4 here, it says this mixed multitude fell a lusting. It's the first time this word lusting appears in the Bible. Carnality puts our focus on earthly matters and what we don't have. Not on what God has provided for our benefit now. These people cried out, who shall give us flesh to eat? Uh, They wanted barbecue. Lust has a devastating effect on a purpose. It describes the way we live before we were saved. It's a trait of the lost. The lost world and it's bent on fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Ephesians 2 and verse 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Proverbs 21.10, The soul of the wicked desireth evil, his neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, lust lust is deceitful. It does not reveal the true consequences of those who indulge in it until the damage many times is already done. Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt concerning the deceitful lust. Lust camouflages the pain, the heartache, the addictions, the diseases, the broken relationships, the problems that are attached to it. And for these reasons, Paul calls lust hurtful. 1 Timothy 6, 9, But they that which be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, 
which drown men in destruction and perdition. Lust battles with the Bible. It struggles with the scriptures. It conflicts. It counteracts the concepts of the scriptures. Mark 4, 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. It's hard to grow in the Lord when you're living a carnal, lustful life. Lust kills our love, desire, and passion for God's will. God gave scripture to warn us about the consequences of lust. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 6. Now these things are our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. We can learn from the mistakes of others. Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust and follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I came across a survey some time ago. It was in a publication called the Discipleship Journal in which the readers ranked areas of greatest spiritual challenge to them. I'm a little skeptical uh, uh, about surveys sometimes, how they're used and abused by the uh, media today. But I do think surveys have their place. And this particular survey listed the following items as the most challenging to their spiritual life. Materialism, pride, Self-centeredness, well, that's pride too, isn't it? Laziness, that's pride. Anger, bitterness, sexual lust, envy, gluttony, lying. The survey respondents noted the temptations were uh, uh, more potent when they neglected their time with God. It was also greater temptations when they were physically tired. Resisting temptation was accomplished by prayer. Avoiding compromising situations, a Bible study, and being accountable to someone. And so you see, if you have that problem of lust, you're not by yourself. You're not alone. You'll find that the more you give into these lusts, the more of a complainer you'll be, and the more you'll moan about the menu of your life. So we find here the cry of the people, the carnality among the people, and then thirdly, the callousness of the people. Verses 5 and 6. The callousness of the people. Verse 5 says, We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And now our soul is dried away, and there is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. It's so sick and tired of manna. You see, when you get carnal and you get critical, your priorities get out of whack. Important matters end to be tend to be forgotten, and the menial, unimportant things capture your focus. And these people said, "We remember the fish, the vegetables, the spices, the watermelons, the cucumbers, and all we've got is manna." They were moaning about the menu. Did they not remember the whips and the slavery and Pharaoh's army? Did they not remember the plagues or the death of the firstborn? Did they not remember about the parting of the Red Sea? These people have been ungrateful and hard-hearted toward God's provisions. And this happens today even among God's people. 
We moan about the menu of our lives. God's daily bread is not enough for us. We want more in this life. And a Christian, if not careful, can become hard-hearted, insensitive, unfeeling, indifferent, uncaring, apathetic. And the corrosion from lust and carnality on a person's character is like rust or acid on metal. The strength and durability of spiritual desire and growth is eaten away. Now we cannot avoid growing old. It's inevitable. We're all going to grow old. But we can't avoid growing cold. We don't have to get cold. We don't have to get hard-hearted like the people of this chapter did. God commands us not to get hard-hearted. Psalm 95 and verse 8, Harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of the temptation in the wilderness. See, God's using in Psalms here this example of these people, how hard-hearted and how cold they got. Getting cold-hearted should be one of the greatest dreads of any Christian. Notice the causes of cold-heartedness. It's not the temperature outside, folks. I know it's cold out there. But it's cold in some of the hearts of believers. What causes cold-heartedness? What causes a person to get calloused and cold-hearted? Number one, sin in your life. Hebrews 3.13, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Pride. Daniel 5.20, and when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and took his glory, and they took his glory from him. Oh, we could give chapter and chapter of verse and verse after verse after verse on this idea of pride. It's the number one, it should be the number one thing that causes cold heartedness. Resistance to God's word, Zechariah 7.12, Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. They made their hearts as an adamant stone. Disbelief. And forgetfulness of God's power. Mark 6, 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. For their heart was hardened. God has been good. And if you don't think God is good, then you're just not thinking right. Because God has been good, but we dare not forget it. What God has done. And we trust in self and sin. Isaiah 47.10 For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. For thou hast said none seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart I am and none else beside me. Therefore shall evil come upon thee. Thou shalt not know from whence it riseth and mischief shall fall upon thee. Thou shalt be not able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon thee suddenly which thou shalt not know. 
That's what causes cold-heartedness. Sin and pride and resistance to God's word, disbelief, forgetfulness of God's power, trusting in self and sin. Well, there are consequences of cold-heartedness. What are the consequences? Well, there's, first of all, going to be problems. You get cold-hearted, get away from God, you're going to have problems. You say, I got problems anyway. Well, you're really going to have problems. Proverbs 28, 14, happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. You get away from God, you get cold-hearted, you're going to fall into mischief. You think you got problems now, just become cold-hearted and you'll find you've got real problems. Sudden destruction. Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. God's wrath, if you are without Christ, if you are without Christ, Romans 2.5 says, But after the hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness, righteous judgment of God. There are consequences of cold-heartedness. But there's also the control of cold-heartedness. What is the control of cold-heartedness? Well, how are you going to control it? There are ways in which you can control cold-heartedness. Number one is check your heart for bitterness. Are you bitter? It's easy to become bitter. You can get offended and you can say, that person had no right to say what they said to me. Just see if I ever say hi to them again. And that bitterness starts to... to work itself around. Hebrews twelve fifteen. looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. We need to put bitterness in check by doing several things. We need to be sure to forgive those who offend us. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be sure to forgive your offenders. And then memorize scripture. Take some time to memorize scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And love the word of God. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I think that's why people get offended. It's because they don't really love God's word. They don't spend time in it. Check your heart for bitterness. Secondly, make right companions. Pastor, you say, Pastor, who do you think you are telling me who my friend should be? I'm not telling you, but you know what? God is telling you who your friend should be. Proverbs twenty two twenty four says, make no friendship 
with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. In other words, bad company corrupts good manners. You need to be careful with who you hang around. You have no business with a wicked, unsaved, worldly crowd. Oh, you can be friendly to them. You shouldn't ignore them. You can witness to them. But you say, well, I'll be that good apple in the basket of bad apples, and I'll make all the good apples or the bad apples good. Doesn't work that way. Won't happen. Why? God says so. You hang around the wrong crowd long enough and you'll become the wrong crowd too. Your companions should not be carnal or angry people. Thirdly, be careful to shun sinful habits. Matthew twenty four twelve. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Confess your sin regularly to the Lord. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep in tune with God spiritually. Don't let sin clutter up your life. And then have a concrete resolve to live for Christ. Psalm 57 and verse 7, my heart is fixed. O Lord, my heart is fixed. He says it twice. I will sing and give praise. Psalmist says, my heart is fixed. Is your heart fixed? Is it set? Some of you in construction know what it means to have concrete set up. Acts 20 and 24 says that none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. Folks, listen, determine your heart not to get hard-hearted. And live your life for the Lord. Don't go through life moaning about the menu. God doesn't want to hear your complaining, and no one else does either. Of course, unless it's another complainer, then they'll listen to you. But I trust that even as we look at these verses of Scripture about God's people in the wilderness and how they had these problems, and how they they struggled with following the Lord, we can see we can have the same problems. If we get cold-hearted, hard-hearted, we become complainers, moaning about everything, instead of living for the Lord, loving His Word, and living holy and separated lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven,